0: Picture it—the years 1995, and computers look like this. Anyone remember that? Yeah. Not only did computers look like this, but that was right about the time where a new technology was was about to revolutionize our world—something called email. Uh, and in 1995, I was a freshman entering freshman into college. And I was so excited because our school had, you know, a computer lab filled with computers just like this one, it was so exciting. And not only that, but I was so excited because I was gonna receive my first email address, which was a pretty big deal. The only problem with that was that I didn't really know anyone else who had email. So I had an email address, but no one to email. I felt a little bit like I was living alone in the North Pole, but I had a mailbox out front just in case. But then everything changed for me when my, uh, my mom, who worked at the University of Michigan, where she also got an email address. And so I finally had someone I could email, and so here I am, this freshman student, and a few times a week I'm emailing back and forth with my mom, which to some of you sounds really sweet, and some of you it sounds really lame, and you're both probably right. And I remember the day that in um, exchanging emails with my mom that suddenly this scripture verse started showing up at the bottom of her email. Um, A heart at peace gives life to the body, Proverbs 14. And I didn't know how it got there. I'm like, did she type that out each time? I didn't. That's the first time I had ever seen an email signature, and I didn't know how to do that yet. Um, But I thought, wow, that's a really cool verse. In fact, the verse was so powerful for me that I went to a Bible, and I looked it up because I wanted to know more about it. And here's what I discovered. It's only part of the verse. The rest of the verse says this, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. And for whatever reason, this verse has always stayed with me. And until recently, I, I don't think I understood why, but, but I think now it probably has something to do, not just with it being on my mom's email signature, but uh, based around this word envy. See, I don't know about you, but when I read through the scriptures, there are certain verses where, um, where I feel convicted by different behaviors that are called out or different things that that we're warned against. There are certain things that I just kind of like, you know, I hear them and I'm like, oh yeah, that's... That's, that's me. I better watch out for that. I need to be careful of that. For instance, in a place like Galatians 5, Paul goes on this whole list of all these things that, that are detrimental to us. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, you know, don't do that stuff. It's not good. And for me, when I would read through a list like that, there were certain words that would jump out to me. I'm not telling you which ones. And I'm like, yeah, Deanne, you, you got to be careful of that. that that's, that's a problem for you. But I'll tell you, one of the words that I never paid any attention to is this one right here, the word envy. I thought, yeah, I, I know what envy is, and maybe that's a problem for some people, but that's just not an issue for me. Envy's just that that's not me. But here's what I know uh, here today, almost 42 years old, I now realize that envy has probably been the biggest sin struggle of my life. And I never knew it. In fact, most of my life I've, I've been more preoccupied with the headlining sins that Paul mentioned in Galatians five. Uh, those, those things that are kind of like a bigger deal that are more sensational. I mean, envy pales in comparison to those things. I mean, a local church pastor caught in a battle with envy. You ever read that in the news? I mean, it's not newsworthy, is it? And yet the ancients, they understood that envy was very, very serious. In fact, they called it a deadly, a deadly sin. And for me, it wasn't until recently that I realized that it was such a big problem for me, which, which just as a side point, is why I believe this series is so important. For, for some of you, you've been, you know, tagging along with this series, but I've heard some people say, you know, this series just feels like pop psychology or something, and if that's what this feels like, then then I want to apologize that I haven't done a better job through all of this. Because you, like me, are driven by things, you're driven by things that you don't even, you're not even aware of yet, and there are things that are driving you to unhealthy places, they're corroding your soul, they are stealing away the life and the wholeness that Jesus wants you to have, and you are not even aware of them yet. In fact, Paul, the guy we just looked at, says in another place that that Satan masquerades like an angel of light. That he looks not like a, a devil with horns, but he comes as an angel of light. And what that means for us is that probably for most of us, even the things that we think of as our greatest virtues might actually be driven by our greatest vices. And it's not until we understand more about the journey that we've lived up to this point in our life, the path that we've walked that we can begin to get insight into those things. We we can expose those so-called angels of light for what they really are, and then we can bring those things to the light of Jesus and allow him to heal them. See, for me, it's taken 41 years plus to get in touch with my envy. But now that I see it, now that I understand it, now that that's been unmasked, I look back over the story of my life, and I see it everywhere. So today I want you to sit up and, and pay attention wherever you are. Um, you're going to get the scoop on one of your pastors. I tried to sell my story to TMZ, but they were not interested. And uh, I contacted the National Enquirer, but they've been kind of obsessed with that Jeff Bezos guy. Um, so, uh, so I want to share with you today just a little bit of what my battle with envy has looked like. Because, because maybe it will help you understand something that's been going on in your life too, maybe. Uh, In 1991, uh, I watched the movie Backdraft. Anyone remember this movie or watch this movie? Yeah, I remember watching it back in 1991. I was probably about 13 or 14 years old. And uh, I don't really remember a lot about the movie plot. But what I can remember distinctly is how I felt after watching the movie. For days after, I kind of fell into a low-grade depression. I, I, I just felt a deep sense of despair or grief that I could not understand. And I'm not sure if it was the heroism that was depicted in the movie, or the camaraderie, or the literal brotherhood here, because I don't have a brother, I always wanted one. Or if it was, it was Kurt Russell and Billy Baldwin's good looks. I don't know what it was, but I watched the movie, and again, I don't even remember all the, the story of the movie, but, but I remember just feeling so at a loss, so grieved, so sad. And I didn't have a word for it back then, but I realize now that what was operating in my life was envy. See, there are some of us here today, or some of us watching online, there are some of us for whom uh, when we we, we see a talented person, or a beautiful person, or a gifted person, um, when we see someone doing really, really well at something, that we feel a sense of admiration or respect, we feel happy for them, we think, wow, that's that's really impressive, you can go to a concert, or you can go to a Broadway show, or you can watch a a pro athlete, and, and you can watch them, and you can just be amazed and dazzled and feel joy at watching someone be really great at something. Right? Some of you like that? And then there are some of us who, when we're in those situations and we see someone that we admire, or someone who's really gifted or someone who's excelling at something, we don't feel a sense of joy. We hate their guts. Anyone? See, that's, that's, that's envy. And it took me a while to understand the difference. Uh, jealousy, I thought they were the same thing. Jealousy is often about the stuff that people have. You know, I see what someone has, and I want it, and I feel jealous of what they have. Envy's different. Envy's over who people are. It's it's what it's about what people possess in their being, and it's not about the superficial stuff of, of what people have, the cars they drive, or anything like that. It's not even about you know the externals of their life. It, it's so much deeper. It's it's this it's this look at what people have in their person, in their being, who they are. That when we compare ourselves against them, we consistently feel like we come up short. And so for me in my life, and maybe this uh, relates with you, or maybe this will help you understand envy. Um, so, so when I would, I would look at someone who was talented, or you know, it doesn't even have to be like, like a talent. If, if I just look at someone who, who maybe was in a, a really um, great relationship, they, they were in love. Or I would look at someone who even had different kinds of um like characteristics or attributes uh, than than me like like someone who is easily happy, you know people like that they 're just happy all the time, or someone who is at ease with life, or someone who just you know extroverted and gets along with people all the time and loves being in the, in the spotlight or, or someone who can experience joy easily. My experience in life, when seeing someone like that, encountering someone like that, um, would w- to feel a sense of, of, of you know, frustration with them or distance or hatred toward them because in my, vo- in my head, I would hear envy whispering to me, He's telling me, those things are not possible for you. And it doesn't matter how hard you try, you will never have those things, they are not attainable for you. They are, they are not a part of your story. They never will be a part of your story. They're not in your genes or your DNA. They will never be accessible for you. See, Proverbs says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. I wonder if you're familiar with the bone-rotting effects of envy. And envy, it, it can do some weird things to us. It can even, it can even show up in odd ways. I, I look back over my life and I see that my struggle with envy has manifested itself in one of the most talked about attributes of my whole person, my hair. Um, I mean, just look back over this hair journey that I've had. It wasn't until recently that I actually allowed myself to have a, a reasonably normal haircut. Um, look, at, look at that one. And I just want you to know that I wasn't following the trend. I was setting the trend back in the day. Um, but I mean, this is me over, you know, like a couple decades of my life. And that's what envy can drive you to do, is you look around and you just see the sense of lack and there's this voice in your head that says, you'll never have that, those things are not accessible to you. You, you grab onto whatever you can, and, and the one thing I've been given is hair, and I mean, as I get older, it's more and more of a gift all the time, but, um, but, but you grab onto those things and you cling to those things and you make too much of those things sometimes. And, and what this dovetails, or maybe even rat tails into, is, is what envy often drives us To doing envy often drives us Those of us who battle with envy over the course of our life Over over that sin of envy It drives us onto the path Of originality We become obsessed With trying to demonstrate or prove our own originality And and we're going to talk about that today It really means some good things Walking this path brings a lot of great things into the world For instance, when you're on this path You possess emotional sensitivity And empathic ability Not empathetic But empathic Um, It's deeper. It's deeper than just empathy. See, see, this means that you can be the kind of person who sits with someone who is going through something hard, and you're not just nodding along. If you're on the path of originality, you just don't nod along and go, oh, wow, that must be really hard. But if they're telling you something hard in their life, you're feeling it with them. And there may be tears in your eyes as they share their pain, like, like they know that you are with them. You are bonded at a deep emotional level with them. Which means that people who've spent a lot of time on this path, they can be some of the best people in the world to sit with you in your own pain or in your difficulty, because they're not just going to nod to your feelings. They're going to feel with you. And when you're with someone like this, you're never going to feel alone, no matter how broken or sad or, or tragic uh, thing you feel. And so, so these people possess deep emotional sensitivity and empathic ability. Um, they also, when you're on this path, you have a natural feel for aesthetics, creativity. And beauty. Uh, Those who have spent a lot of time on this path are often the world's most gifted storytellers, musicians, actors, other artists, creatives, arguably, even the world's best pastors are people who have spent a lot of time on this path saying. Um, and, and so you, you bring a lot of uh, creativity and beauty, um, aesthetics of just, of just kind of sensing what brings beauty or richness into the world. You bring that into the world. On the path of originality, you're in search of authentic feelings and connections. Authenticity is key here. Uh, and so you tend to bring an authenticity or originality to wherever you go. Not only that, but because you're in the search, in search of authentic feelings and connections, here's what you often do, you often take people from a superficial level of existing to a deeper place, you can bring people to a deeper place to discover feelings inside of them or or just important issues inside of them that they would never ever face or deal with without you and so you can be this guide to the deeper, more authentic feelings and connections of life. And so these people are, are incredibly useful. Our world would be so, so black and white. Our world would be so surfacey without these people. But it's not all good. It comes with some complications. You see, also on the path of originality, you identify too much with your feelings, especially strong ones. It's even said that when you're on this path, you don't just have feelings, but you are your feelings. You become your feelings and, and so you're always in search of strong feelings whether that's love or infatuation or or whether that's pain or tragedy or or loss. And and why is it in life that for some of us those darker emotions come so much more easily than the than the light emotions. And so you can start to identify too much with those feelings, especially the strong ones and and uh, and, and second uh, on this path, you find identity and value through pain. It actually becomes your identity. That's how you find your value. You start to see your whole life through a narrative of suffering. And you kind of think, like, that's my lot in life. That's my special contribution to the world as, as one who suffers. And, and so as you live life through this identity, through this narrative, uh, you, tend to, you tend to look for those things. You're always going through some sort of tragedy or some sort of hardship or some sort of conflict, and you put that on display for all the world to see. And, and uh, again, because those emotions are strong, you identify with them, and they, they just become part of your person. Or on this path, you gravitate toward push-pull relationships, Again, because of strong feelings, because of pain, you tend to find relationships or you transform your relationships into relationships that have intense periods of closeness and intimacy, and then also conflict and distance, and it's this wave back and forth. Or on this path, you're focused um, on what's missing. And notice I say missing, not what's, what's uh, wrong, like our friends on the path of integrity who are black and white, they can walk into a place and say, well, that's not right, that's wrong, that's not the way you do that. This is a focus on what's missing. And when you're on this path um, long enough that the envy thing that happens makes it really hard for us to look at our lives, look at ourselves, look at our relationships and actually take note of what's there, the good that's there. Instead, we're, we're just hyper aware of whatever is missing, whatever is lacking, whatever could be, whatever is not present in us, in our life, in our relationships. Uh, it becomes very personal on this path. You also are too in touch with your flaws. I think we all have a sense of our flaws. Again, these people are hyper aware of their flaws. And so that means that, that when you try to compliment someone who's been on this path a lot, they can't take a compliment. And that may frustrate you or that may feel like false humility. But if they're really a, a person who's on this path, it's not that. It's just whenever you compliment them, or give them a personal compliment, they can see all of their flaws so clearly that it's just like, yeah, that, that, that may be great, but you don't know the rest of this. And so they can't take a compliment. So an inferior self-image becomes a, uh, a, a part, of, a part of, uh, of walking this path. Or um, on the path of originality... Uh, And this is really true. You are in search of an ideal love to redeem you. See, these are the people who are still talking and in search of a soulmate. These are the people who make the rest of the world feel very unromantic. And I say that with only a few days left before Valentine's Day. I'll repeat that. There are only a few days left before Valentine's Day for those of you who are less romantically inclined, right? Uh, See, see, these people tend to believe when you're on this path, you tend to believe that, that all this stuff that's flawed with you, all the stuff that's missing in your life, you tend to believe that if I could just find someone who could see me and know me and value me and love me, then maybe, in spite of all of these flaws, in spite of all that's missing, all that's broken inside of me, maybe that love could actually make me whole. And I told you before that these are some of the world's greatest storytellers and actors and actresses and performers. And so these are the stories our culture loves to tell. These are the stories of our movies and our songs because these are the people writing those stories. That's what they're in search of. And, and part of this, I mean, part of this idea that, that there's someone's love in the world who's gonna, who's gonna redeem you. That's a lot of pressure to put on a relationship and that's hogwash. And yet there's something about this in a deeper way. That is absolutely true. See, see, it's this possibility that holds the promise of, of getting out of this dead end path and finding true growth and freedom and the wholeness we so so desperately seek after. Uh, today, I want to share with you some words from Paul that he wrote to a church called Ephesus. And uh, if you're here in the room, you can look at page 1174. Um, while you're turning there, um, these are some Of the greatest words of scripture that just describe the heart of the gospel. And so if you're someone who so far you're like not connecting with this envy, originality, authenticity stuff, that's okay. These are some of the most powerful words in scripture. You need to hear these words today. But if you're someone who, like me, realizes or you're starting to realize that envy might be your biggest sin struggle. It's, it's been the story of your life. If you're someone who's, who's you know, resonated with some of that path of originality stuff, then these words have the power to change your life, to change your story starting today. And so you really need to take them in. Ephesians chapter two, Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. by the way, um, often when we talk about sins, we think of this word transgression. When we talk about sin. Transgressions literally means there's a rule and you break it. There's a line and you cross it. In Hebrew, th- those, or later on in Greek, those are called transgressions. And then there's this other word, sins, which refers not to the things that we do that are wrong, not not the things that we do that um, cross lines, but sinfulness is more about our being. So this is about our doing, this is about our being. Sinfulness is just that sense of of that there's something broken inside of me, there's something wrong inside of me, no matter whether I do anything good or bad, it's it's still there. It's a part of my being. And and so Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions, both the things that you've done, but also on a deeper level, you were dead in those things, and he goes on, and he says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient, the the Satan who masquerades like an angel of light, You, you used to be dead in those things, and you used to live in those things, and he goes, hey, but you know what? We're all in the same boat here because all of us also lived among those ways at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, see, it's not just you, but like everybody else, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, some of you are sitting here today and you're like, wait a minute, this is, this is a new concept for you. I'm, I'm an object of wrath. I'm deserving wrath. That may be a foreign concept for you. For some of you, you know this all too well, especially if you've been on this path of originality. But then he goes on and he says this. He says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. Do you hear what Paul says? Paul says, this, this, this idealized love that some of you are, are seeking after. You know, this belief that you have that if, if someone could just if, if someone could see me and know me and value me, if someone could truly love me, then maybe that would make, make me whole. Paul says, Hey, guess what? That love, it exists. It's real. It's not just a fairy tale. It's not just a myth. It's real. It exists. And you know what? It's not just out there for some people. It's not out there for the beautiful people or for the whole people or for the people who had a whole family or a good upbringing. It's out there. It's it's present. It's here for you now, for you now, wherever you are. It's here for you. It's in the room. It's it's, it's accessible to you. It's been with you all along. It is is the love of a God whose love is great. It is here and it's present. And so this isn't a fairy tale. And this isn't just for some people, Paul says, but for all of us as objects of, of wrath. There is a God whose love for us is great and this love is the love we've been searching for. This is the love That once we have it, because God sees us and knows us and values us and loves us, it can make us holy. It's a love that doesn't see our broken parts and pieces and fractures and fissures and and, and it doesn't get repulsed or move away. It's a love that will not ever reject us or abandon us. But it's actually the love that we've all been looking for. It's the only love. That can truly make us whole and then he goes on and he says because of this great love God who is rich in mercy has made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus I wonder today is there anyone who needs to be raised up I mean, if you had one of those weeks where, where life just kept knocking you down and bringing you low, are you ready to be raised up? And for some of you, I, I wonder if you've been waiting for this longer than that. I wonder if your whole life story feels like a story of you being knocked down. Of tragedy and hardship, of being trampled over and suffering. And, and that's just become your way of life. That's become the narrative that you've lived with. And it just seems like it's being repeated over and over and over again. And while some people have a break, some people are the people who get raised up. That's not me. If, if, if that's kind of been your story, today, would you like it to be different? See, see Paul promises that there is this God who, who wants to raise us up, He wants to see us down in our suffering, our pain our forgottenness, us feeling uniquely broken or like misfits or unlovable or, or just feeling like the best things in life aren't accessible to us. Paul says there is a God who looks down and he sees us in that condition and his desire and intention is to raise us up, to change our circumstance, to change our narrative, to put us in a higher place. Paul says that not only is there a love that can make us whole, but there is a God who wants to today, he wants to begin to change our story. And so it doesn't matter if it's always been suffering and pain and loss in your life, and that's what you've come to identify. There's a God who wants to come today, and he wants to pick you up. He wants to raise you up with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And here's why he did it. He says... In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us, not just to other people, but to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. For those of us who say, yeah, but, you know, there's, there's nothing good in me. And, and I just, I know that. And, and my life story is a story of lack. Paul, Paul says, you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to come from you. It doesn't matter how broken you are. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because it's not about you. It doesn't come from you. It, it comes from the outside of you. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then he says this. He says, for we are God's handiwork. Or another translation says, for we are God's craftsmanship. Another one says, for we are God's workmanship. Uh, My favorite is a translation that says, for we are God's masterpiece. For we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I mean, this is good news for all of us, but if you're someone who has wrestled with envy, if you're someone who has tried to live your life on the path of originality to to fight against the the envy that's working in your life, this this is the truth that can set you free. This, This is your breakthrough. And here's what Paul says. He says, instead of continuing to focus on all the ways that you're broken, and instead of living life in envy of all of the people appear to be more whole. Paul says, the message you need to hear today is that you are God's masterpiece. And even in your brokenness, even with cracks and fissures and all the rest, God has made and can make you beautiful. See, I I think this is the thing that often gets lost in Christianity. As we seek to emphasize our fallenness, which is a reality, by the way. It's it's, it's true. We're fallen. Somehow we end up making the gospel of Jesus sound like this. You are a dirtbag. There's nothing good in you. But thankfully, Jesus came into the world and he died for you so that now you, still a dirtbag, nothing good in you, can go to heaven forever. And maybe some of you, that's the message you need to hear because you think too highly of yourself and you need to be brought low. And, and maybe that's, maybe that's you. But, but, but for some of us, th- there, there's a message there that we're missing. Even as we emphasize our fallenness, think about what's implied there in fallenness. Even if we own our fallenness, do you know what that means? That means that there was a time when we were in a position of honor. If we're fallen, that means it wasn't always that way, that there was a time that we lived in a place of being loved, that that we, we were in a place where we were spectacularly created, a masterpiece of God, beautiful and original. And even though we're fallen, God's original created intention remains for us, it cannot be taken away. In fact, in fact, Paul says, you know what, now through Jesus, it's even better. Because Jesus has come into the world, and, and he's picked up the pieces of this masterpiece that God made that sin has marred and broken and infected. And Jesus comes along, and he picks up the pieces, and he starts fitting them together again to create a new masterpiece. Masterpiece. See, maybe in this culture, finally, you know, we're in this thing with like barn wood and reclaimed substances, and, and we see that even in a fallen barn, a heap of rubble, you can take things out of there, and you see that, that in their scars and in their, in, their, in their messed upness, there's beauty there, and we start to reclaim those things, and we make new works of art out of those things. Maybe we're finally ready to understand what Paul was saying here in Ephesians. For we are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared us in advance for us to do. Or uh, maybe this makes sense to you. Um, How many of you have heard of the Japanese art of kintsugi or kintsugi bowls? Yeah, if you do the Growing Deeper, you've probably heard about this recently. It was in um, one of our studies the last couple of weeks. Uh, Kintsugi literally means, literally means golden joinery. Kintsugi means golden joinery. And there is a fable that goes along with this whole practice um, about how it might have come to be. It's probably just a fable. But, but what kintsugi is it, is, it is the Japanese art of repairing a broken piece of pottery by using lacquer mixed with powdered or fine um, gold dust or silver dust or platinum dust. And So you, you take those precious elements, you mix it in with the lacquer, and then, and then you, repay, you repair a broken vessel, Making the cracks oddly visible, right? There is a picture of that. that. That gold, those are the cracks. You make the cracks oddly visible. Now, in a super glue culture, this doesn't make sense to us, right? We want the clear glue that you never see. So you put it on the shelf and people go, I can never tell that it was broken. That's, that's what we want. But Kintsugi has a different um, philosophy. And, and here's why they do this. See, Kintsugi as a philosophy. It treats the breakage and the repair of an object as a part of the object's unique history. Something that makes it valuable rather than something that needs to be disguised. Just let that soak in for a minute. This art form, this philosophy treats breakage and repair as, the part of a, as part of the history of an object that makes it unique and valuable and beautiful. It does not see breakage and repair as something that needs to be disguised. And these bowls now are priceless, far more valuable than their perfect counterparts preserved even from the same ages. Why? Because they're they're made more valuable by the elements put into them, yes, but they're also completely original. See, see here's the thing. Don't waste your time trying to convince yourself or anyone else that you're not broken, because you are. And you know that all too well, especially if you've walked on this path. But even more important, even more important is not to get too hung up. Please don't get too hung up on your brokenness either. Don't make it into too big of a thing. Don't, don't live in fear of it. Don't live in hatred of it. Don't live in envy toward other people who appear to be less broken. Instead, instead, here's what Paul's telling us to do. Instead, notice the value of what? No, no, no. Notice the value of Who? has poured himself out to fill every crack and fissure, every wound in your life. Notice the value of the one who has poured himself out in all of your brokenness to heal you. See how he makes both your wounds visible but beautiful. In the same way that Jesus himself stood before his disciples at his resurrection and he showed them the wounds in his hands, still visible, but now beautiful. You see, you, even still, are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus to do good works. And this is so important that that the true path to originality, and by the way, originality is your birthright. That's your calling. That's what God created you to do. But the true path to originality, it can't be found by reacting against what everyone else is or trying to, trying to stand out in some way or, or rebelling against everyone by the way you dress or the way you look or, or, or trying to just find your own niche to, to be original or, or acting out or being tragic. You cannot manufacture your own sense of originality See, the true path to originality, it's something that you can only discover by listening to the craftsman. And and I'll tell you this, the closer you get to Jesus, the longer you walk with Jesus, the greater the the opportunity you have to learn from him, the, the artisan, exactly what kind of masterpiece he's creating in you but you cannot manufacture it. You don't get to decide how you're original alone. It's it's something that God is delighted to reveal to you if you listen, if you ask. And I'll tell you when this happens, when we begin to discover how God is making us into a masterpiece, completely unique, broken, but beautiful, when we begin to walk this path of originality apart from envy, apart from the drive of envy, then you know what happens? That means then that you will bring authenticity into the world that the world desperately needs. But again, it won't be driven by by envy. It won't be manufactured, but it will be truly God-directed. And you know what else? You will become a safe place for people who are going through hard things because you have gone through hard things. You've been broken by life but those wounds have been both made visible and beautiful by the healing love of Jesus. And and so you'll be able to to become a safe place of refuge, to empathize and, and to feel with people, but also to point them to the hope that you have found when you begin to walk this path in a healthy way. Then you'll be able to bring beauty and depth, creativity and inspiration wherever you go. But it's a path that only God can reveal and it's based on what God has done and is doing in your life. And so today we're um, going to close with a song and I think it's truly the, the best song I could ever think of to end this message. In fact, I couldn't have written a, a song more perfect. And as we sing this song, here's what I'm just going to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you to believe the message of this song to believe what we've just talked about. That even though you may look at your life and and, and you see all the things that are wrong, Jesus has come into the world to pick up the pieces and with his love to construct something that is visibly broken, but completely original and beautiful. And if you're someone who's struggling to to believe that or to own that, maybe during this song, here's what you can do. You you can just use this time as a prayer and you can begin to say to Jesus, Jesus, I don't know. I just look at this and I, I don't see anything good here. And I look at other people and I can see their goodness and I can see what you're doing in them, but I can't see it in me. You can use this song instead to say, Jesus, can you begin today to speak over me? what you're making anew, what you're recreating, what what you're forming, the masterpiece you're making out of this. And here's what I know. He'll begin to do that. He'll begin to tell you. He'll begin to show you. And it may take a long time, but he will begin to do that today in your life. So stand and let's use this song as a moment to uh, let Jesus unfold his goodness in our lives.